Today on Indivisible Westchester, the podcast, we're joined by Brett McSweeney, the Executive Director of Eleanor's Legacy, to discuss their mission to elect women to office at every level of government. Welcome, Brett. I want to thank you so much for being here today. So Eleanor's Legacy, let's talk about Eleanor's Legacy. You're dedicated to recruiting, running, and funding pro-choice Democratic women for office right here in New York State. Why is this work necessary? We believe it's necessary, and now we have evidence to show that it's necessary, that women make a difference when they are in leadership. And we believe that government works best when it looks like all of us, when it works for all of us, and when it speaks for all of us. And to do that, you need to recruit, train, and fund pro-choice Democratic women. I think we saw the results uh, from the effort that everyone here in Westchester and across the state put in to elect the most number of women to the New York State Legislature in Mm -hmm. 2018. We saw those results in the 2019 legislative session when finally, once we had flipped the New York State Senate, and I know there will never not be a time to not be proud of that work (laughs) that we all did, and never not be a time to to not be proud that the Andrea Stewart Cousins, representing Westchester, became the first woman to lead the New York State Senate and first Mm -hmm. woman of color. And under her leadership and in partnership with the women uh, and Speaker Hasty in the Assembly, was the most productive and progressive legislative session that we've ever had. Mm-hmm. And I think those results speak for themselves about why we need to continue electing pro-choice Democratic women, of course, to the state legislature, but also to the counties, to our towns, to our villages. Every level of government, mm-hmm. it's super important. So let's talk a little bit about reproductive rights, at least on the national level, they're under attack. So why does that make it even more important here at home to support pro-choice candidates, pro-choice women? Well, I think we're all learning this sort of giant civics lesson of the past three years that if we can't rely on our federal government, if we can't rely on not our exact elected leaders here from Westchester County, um, but if we can't rely on Mitch McConnell's Senate and Donald Trump's White House. Or the Supreme Court. Or or Mitch McConnell's Supreme Court. Uh, if we can't rely on them to keep the interests of women and children and young girls uh, centered, then we have to rely on ourselves. And we have to turn to our state capitals and to our county seats um, to speak up for and advocate for and protect the fundamental rights of women and girls. So let's backtrack a little bit. Can you give me a history of the organization and why is it called Eleanor's Legacy? So Eleanor's Legacy, you'd be surprised. I always just assume, and this is of course what happens when you work at a place long enough, that you just assume people know that uh, we are named after uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, Uh who we believe uh, was the greatest first lady of New York State, the first lady of this country, and uh, went on to become the first lady of the world in her instrumental work in establishing the United Nations. And on top of all of that, on top of the large profile that she had in all of those um, stations, she also was an ardent Democrat and a grassroots organizing Democrat who fought for space for women within the organized Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. In addition to the sort of sort of more famous or more written about work that she did creating opportunities for women when she was the first lady of the White House and insisting on conducting her own press conferences with women reporters. Um, she also mm-hmm. insisted on creating uh, the um, women's committee within the New York State Democratic Committee. Mm. And she also fought for uh, 
sort of clean, transparent Democratic Party politics in New York State. So we wanted to bring together those two sort of ties about what New York women can accomplish in the broad scope, mm -hmm. as well as the nitty gritty fundamentals of building the Big D Democratic Party. So we're named in honor of her, uh, Mrs. Roosevelt. We were founded in 2001. Uh, which feels like ancient history right. uh, at the pace we're living at these days. So talk a little bit about the political environment in 2001. What was going on? So in 2001, state? New York State had just elected our first woman to the United States Senate mm -hmm. uh, from Westchester County, Hillary Rodham Clinton. And in 2001, Judith Hope, who had been the first woman to chair the New York State Democratic Committee, and she herself had been a town supervisor, the first woman elected a town supervisor on all of Long Island. Uh -huh. She looked around and saw the enthusiasm that there was for electing a woman to such a high office in New York State. And the first time, it took until 2000, this state is the home of the women's rights movement all the right. way back to Seneca Falls. Yep. Uh, it took us until 2000 to elect a woman in her own right. Uh, uh, to the United States Senate and Judith looked around and she saw that enthusiasm and that organizing power and she knew there was a there there but she knew that we couldn't forget um, in the excitement for sort of changing the face of power in the United States Senate that it really comes back to our towns and counties and right. villages so she wanted to bring together her experience serving at the local level with women's enthusiasm for seeing New York women on the national stage so combining the two let's talk about the obstacles that women face that are different mm -hmm. than men what is the biggest impediment that you see for women trying to run for office uh, I think a lot of them would, who maybe have come through here and spoken to you, would talk about uh, the fundraising. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a fact of life, life of how we've organized our our electoral system here in, uh, in the United States, that it requires the ability to make your pitch to not only voters and volunteers, but to donors. And as a result of all of the things that operate in, in our society to keep women back, it starts with uh, certainly the... Um, unequal pay, right. right? And women sure. not having the access to the wealth networks that their male peers might have access to. Mm. And that compounds over time so that when it comes time for you to maybe, maybe you're a mid-career woman and it's time for you to think about running for office, you haven't built that same wealth network that, um, that your male peers would have had. And then that's compounded when you're a woman of color mm -hmm. or you're a new American or any number of factors that keep you different um, and non-traditional for what our usual elected leaders look like. And does it also make it harder for women to ask for money from donors? Does that translate You know, to, I don't know that the vary? asking is necessarily hmm. hard based on gender. Perhaps people who are better at it than I am uh, <laughs> would, would maybe disagree. Um, but I think it just limits our networks to begin with. So just getting out of the gate is already a challenge. We're already starting a few steps behind because we're already operating at that pay inequality deficit. And again, right. it's compounded when we take into consideration age and, um, and ethnicity. One statistic that jumped out at me recently was that even though we have a Democratic majority in the state Senate, it's only about, I think it was 26% women. Why do you think that is? Well, we have a tradition of electing men. Uh, is basically <laughs> that's why you're it. here. Yeah, right. that's why I'm here. We just have a tradition of seeing 
a certain type of man as being the model of what a leader looks like and who a leader should be. And it's taken organized effort and it's taken since 2001 with Eleanor's legacy and an intensive focus on trying to change that perception, um, both from the candidate's point of view, from a voter's point of view, and from the colleagues uh, who sort of, uh, who already are in elected office. Right. And so that kind of, goes into my next question that here in New York, we have a female lieutenant governor, we have a female attorney general, but we have never had a female governor. Yet when you look at other states that have elected female governors, you have states like Texas, Arizona, Kansas, you know, they've all had women in this top executive position. So is that the same reason that you were talking about before that faces them getting to the governor's seat here in New York? I would say so. I don't know that it necessarily changes. I think I think that I think that um, stereotypes, tradition, um, a dose of misogyny and racism uh, mm-hmm. sure. are are, um, are are relevant in in communities and states across the country, right? And I right. don't know that one the that's the norm. Uh-huh. The the um, the ones that stand out, frankly, there's only one country and uh, one, one state in this country at the moment that actually has uh, parity for representation of women, and that's Nevada. Oh, interesting. Um, all the rest of us, even if we have elected a governor, uh-huh. we don't have they don't have 50% of their state legislature serving right. as women, right? They don't have 50% of their of their congressional delegation. Right. Um, it's only Nevada, and only in 2018 did they reach parity in terms of their congressional delegation, their state legislature, and their executive branch. Wow. So the rest of us are are living in the reality of, like I said, of tradition, stereotypes, racism, and misogyny. Right. So what is the landscape like for female Democratic candidates this cycle? More women continue to run than ever before. So we continue to build on the wave that won in 2017 that that, that sort of showed the way for the opportunities to elect women and to flip Mm -hmm. uh, red red seats blue, whether that's at the local level or county level. And then it continued in 2018 uh, when we elected the highest number of women ever yet uh, Mm -hmm. to serve in our New York state legislature and the highest number of women (laughs) yet to serve in our United States Congress. Focus Uh, on the positive. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that continued in 2019 when Eleanor's legacy, we endorsed um, 191 women running for office across New York state for our town and local office. Was that a record? That was a record for us, absolutely. That's great. Um, so the landscape is getting more and more filled up with right. women running for office. Are we there yet? No. Um, my personal goal is 100% candidates and 100% victories and 100% seats <laughs> held by pro-choice Democratic women. Right. Um, That's a good goal. I, 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 I'm in full support well, of that Well, why not, goals. right? <laughs> why not? Sure, why not? We, it was zero forever. Right. Uh, why not 100%? And let's see what we can do with those opportunities. We're talking about New York State. It's a big state. How is the political environment then different for women in different parts of the state? Say, for example, the city versus upstate. Well, on a practical level, the opportunities to run, um, just the number of offices to run for, are far greater when you leave the city, when you leave the five boroughs, Uh when you go to Westchester or Long Island or Rockland and and then keep spreading out, right? right? So often when I meet a woman for a cup of coffee in New York City, and she wants to talk about you know, this idea that she has that she thinks that she uh, could really uh, could run for office, um, I propose to them that they should 
think about the reasons why they're running for office uh -huh. um, to help them decide what level of office they want to run for. As we've all been learning, if you're interested in solving uh, the crisis at the MTA, serving in the city council might not be as effective as serving in Albany, right? Right, sure. So think about the office you run, want to run for and then think about the opportunities that might exist outside of living in New York City to run for your village office, your town, your mm -hmm. county, state legislature, and Congress. Sure. So on a pragmatic level, that's how the sort of stark differences are. Uh-huh. Um, there might be, you know, we talk a lot about wait your turn as sort of a thing that people feel they, they hear a lot, not just women, but anyone who's non-traditional. Right. Right? To oh, the sort yes. of standard of what our elected leaders look like. And and uh, the and the the waiting your turn perhaps might be a shorter wait uh, where there are fewer Democrats, right? Uh -huh. There are a lot of counties in this state where there is a core grassroots Democratic operation, but they don't have enough Democrats that they that to fill all the offices to fill the ballot, right? So right. They're, they're looking for more people to run. So how do you find women? What is the pipeline? Do they come to you? Do you reach out to people? Like yeah, what is, it's a what little bit process? of process. It's a little bit of everything, right? So mm -hmm. there are women who are for lack of a better phrase, self-starters, right? right? Who The ones who've been watching the news, reading the newspaper for years, and maybe once had an idea that they thought they might want to run for office, but then when they got out of law school, uh, took a job at a firm, right? right? Sure. Or uh, there's somebody maybe who's been a, a teacher, a public school teacher for decades, and they've seen the difference that it makes that Albany could make or their county could make for the resources available in this school system. Mm -hmm. And so they're finally ready to take the knowledge that they sort of like gleaned all these years or to revisit that dream that they once had that they should be the candidate and they call me up and ask for a cup of coffee to just sort of talk it through right but then in turn I try to show up a lot of places yeah. I try to be in a lot of rooms I try to be in a lot of spaces where a variety of women are right uh, and look around the room and sort of see who's the one that's asking a lot of questions but is sitting in the back row I but see. maybe if she had a cup of coffee with me she'd sit in the front row uh -huh. uh, at the next meeting and then maybe the next time she'd return with her petitions to run for office. Is there something that jumps out at you when you um, are looking for a candidate? Is there something that you're looking for or something that kind of speaks to you? Or um, I would say a connection with the community um, and some sort of record of service. Mm -hmm. And I think you can get that, right? If you're, if you're in some sort of community meeting, there's a, you can, a, you can sort of tell by the type of questions that somebody's asking that they've been paying attention, that they've been showing up, um, that they're asking from experience. Right. I think that's the most important thing when a person thinks about running for office, because what you're going to then do is go out on the campaign trail and say, you know me, or maybe you don't know me yet, but you know the work I've done, and I'm the person behind getting increased funding for the library. I'm the person behind sidewalks on your street, right. whatever the case may have been. When we talk about Andrea Stewart Cousins, leader Stewart Cousins, what, what got her start was her concern for the, the bus stop that her children were, were waiting at was going to be moved. Uh -huh. She started showing up at meetings right. and fighting for the, for the bus stop and for her children. So then you take it from there, yeah. right? But I think that connection to community, some sort of record of service, and it could be as small as moving a bus stop or protecting a bus stop on up And the then scale. you can be one of the most powerful women in the state before you know it. Is there a candidate meeting or coffee that really stands out to you, one of your favorite stories? Yes. So I always I always talk about this, right? And I sort of already did. As a, when I meet with a woman in New York City and we're sitting, say, on Union Square, right? And she says, I think I'm 
want to run for office. Right. Um, I really could see myself in city council someday. And I always reply and say, here's a map of New York State, right? These are all the counties in New York State, and we need quality Democratic women representing all of these counties. Mm -hmm. And if you have the ability to move out of the city um, without really disrupting your life or your career, but you just have that ability to do that, then I would encourage you to do that. And if you don't, and what you really do want to do is serve in the New York City Council, then let's come back and have a second conversation. Right. So I had that conversation one time with a woman, and she called me six months later, and she no longer was living uh, in Morningside Heights on the west side of Manhattan. She had moved to Schoharie County, which is north of Albany. Okay. And she uh, wanted to let me know she was going to her first Democratic County meeting uh-huh. uh, as vice chair. And I thought, oh, dear Lord, uh, she <laughs> she took my advice. Um, and it was slightly okay because she revealed that she had moved back to a family farm that she wanted to keep in the family. Right. And she wanted to raise her children there. And it sort of all came together to present this perfect opportunity for her to be a more involved Democratic leader uh, and, you know, meet the needs of her family. But I thought she's the first person that has told me they actually took my advice. And it was so overwhelming. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so off she off she went. That one always sticks out. That's but I am great. sincere, you know? I mean, you yeah. have to be strategic and pragmatic and you should like look at a map and and try to figure it out just as you I don't know, map out your career goals. You need to map out your You need to be strategic and goals. smart, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's this isn't necessarily any different. Yeah. Um you run campaign schools. We've mm-hmm. co-sponsored one of the campaign schools and and we would love to do that again. So at we the need beautiful to talk. Be- beautiful yes. Greenberg Public Library. Greenberg Public Library. So that's Through something the, uh, that we should I organize storms again. Of 2017, the back-to-back ice storms. No, I think it was 18. Yeah, yeah. it was. It, I don't know. Everything runs together now. It was 18. Um, but w- walk me through those schools. What do you teach in these campaign schools, and why are they important? So our goal has always been that we provide an on-ramp to women who want to join the big D Democratic Party and little d Democratic process in New York State. Mm -hmm. And so we see the campaign schools as an opportunity to maybe pull the curtain back a little bit, demystify, share some of our language in the dictionary Mm -hmm. of of Democratic politics um, to try to just make it a little less intimidating, a little less confusing, because Lord knows it can be both of those things. And frankly, it's designed to be both of those things uh, so that not too many newcomers find their way in maybe mix it up a little too much yeah <laughs> uh, so we that's what that that's how we see the purpose of the campaign schools and so we start off just as I sort of try to do here um, but hope in campaign schools I'm usually a little bit more practiced in my uh, method but we talk about the opportunities to run for office the different levels of service uh, that you can have in your community in New York because at the end of the day maybe you decide you don't want to run for office but you decide you want to be a campaign manager you right. want to be a party leader. There's mm-hmm. many of opportunities to be a civic leader without being the candidate. And that's a really good point to make Thanks. that I think is lost on a lot of people is that, you know, running for office and being the candidate is only one path. There are others. Yeah. And they can be equally as important. I mean, we only have 63 New York state senators. We only have 150 assembly members. Mm-hmm. There are 10 million women that live in New York state. Right. Um, I'm good enough at math to know (laughs) that that's a a precious few who are able to uh, run and win, and those who are privileged enough to run and lucky enough to win. And do you think it makes a difference women running campaigns for women? 
Well, you uh, <laughs> may be here at Indivisible Westchester and maybe drawing on some past experience. Maybe you can tell me some things I've yet to learn myself right. because I've never served as a campaign manager is right. the big confession. Yeah. Um, but I would like to think but it you've does. you involved with campaigns and talked to people working on campaigns. So, yeah, 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 absolutely, I have. And what's the feedback there? Well, I think it's... I think it, it's... Uh, um, reinforces what we see the purpose of Eleanor's legacy in our campaign schools as. Our campaign schools are intended for self-identifying women to attend. They're intended for self-identifying women to who see themselves as future candidates. And it's meant to be a space where people can feel a little free mm -hmm. to ask the weird questions or ask the questions that might feel, um, you know, that they know that people in the room uh, have in common with them, right. whether it's child care, elder care, when you're a candidate, what to wear, yes. uh, you know, uh, how to conduct oneself, that's, uh -huh. you know, all this sort of things that in, the, in our world that seems new. Right. The goal is to be in a space where you feel like people... You can ask that question, and there are people in the room who have some answers from their own experience. Right, they have very practical yeah. answers. If Eleanor Roosevelt was alive, what do you think she would say about the state of our union? Um, state of New York. Is state I mean, of New York easier? What would she say about New York? What she would say, I would, I believe, what she would say about New York, and I would definitely encourage you to have the, the, the learned Eleanor Roosevelt historians uh, that live in New York, such as Blanche Wiesen Cook, that would be fun to, have uh, them on the to, to join you on the podcast <laughs> one day. I think that she would, I know she would be proud of the state of New York um, for what we've accomplished in terms of electing women. And on top of that, what we've accomplished in being true to progressive politics and being true to expanding the scope for how um, it's all of us together, mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, she was the eyes and ears and legs of her husband during the New Deal, right? And she saw working conditions. She saw discrimination. She saw um, the, you know, the the American dream not being realized or attainable for so many people. Um, and so I think that she'd be proud in New York that we're working towards those goals. And we've turned a huge page um, under the leadership of um, Leader Stuart Cousins and Speaker Hasty. At the national level, she was instrumental in the foundation of the United Nations. Mm. She was instrumental in her authorship of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. She lived with regret but was instrumental in um, bringing Jewish refugees uh, and escaping World War II and the Holocaust to New York State. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a camp uh, in upstate New York um, that a member of my board, actually, like this part, I'm like going to get off the rails for. That's right. uh, so you can like edit out. But there's a camp. <laughs> I'll have to like look it up and send it to you. But Ruth Gruber, who was a centenarian when she died, she was a journalist during World War II, um, a Jewish New York woman. And um, there was a, like an actual camp, like a, a woodsy camp uh, right. that that they that Eleanor set up to bring refugees to um, escaping Palestine and escaping if they could not go to Palestine, to escaping um, Europe. So she was instrumental in all those things. Of course, she would be dismayed and heartbroken um, by the current state of our nation. But I don't think that she would be defeated, mm. right? Right. I think she would see the opportunity to rebuild what we once had. Right. So that's why what you're doing is, is such an amazing tribute to well, her and her legacy. I mean, that's why it's such a great name for your organization. Final question. What is your wish for 2020? My wish for 2020 is that we elect as many pro-choice Democratic women as possible up and down the ballot. Excellent. Thank from you the for, top to the bottom. From the top to the bottom at every level of government, it is important. We keep saying that and we can't emphasize that enough. 
Thank you, Brett, for being here today. This was really enjoyable. And again, thank you for all the tremendous work you've done on behalf of the citizens of New York. Well, thank you for the opportunity. As much as we can remind people that the work is not yet done, that New York State is still only 20th in the nation for women serving in our state legislature, that out of our 27 members in our congressional delegation, only eight seats are held by women, and we're going to lose one of those women this mm. year when the when the, the great and notorious uh, Nita Lowy uh, yes. retires from her seat. Um, we have work to do in New York State. Right, so a lot of work accomplished, much more to do, but thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Indivisible Westchester, the podcast. Proud member of the Demcast Network. Find us online at indivisiblewestchester.org, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Most importantly, keep on resisting.